0: I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? I can see it in your eyes. I'm trying to free your mind, Neo. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. The truth! You can't handle the truth! What truth. That you are a slave in you. Try to understand this! 20-year-olds fall in and out of love more often than they change their oil filters, which they should do more often. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. You have to let it all go, Fear, doubt, disbelief. Free your mind it doesn't matter who we are no one cared who i was till i put on the mask how do you define real you stay in wonderland and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes after this there is no turning back are we clear crystal Hey everybody, welcome to Third Degree Mind, where once a week I have the opportunity to spend an hour telling you how to live your life. Well, not exactly. Mostly I just share my own screw-ups and lessons that I've learned. Uh, If you're a regular listener, thanks so much for being a part of our regular audience. We've been around a few months and it means a lot to me to know that I'm bringing relevant content to you that... Uh, maybe it's something you enjoy listening to, or maybe you get something out of it, and you look forward to the next episode. I sometimes hear on the Facebook page, or, or uh, uh, just comments from from our regular listeners that are waiting for the next episode. So I appreciate that uh, that we have a, a regular audience, that I'm bringing something relevant to you. So I I appreciate that a lot. If you're a first time listener, welcome. Uh, I appreciate you also. Thanks for downloading this episode. I definitely appreciate having the opportunity to talk with you this week. Uh, Just a quick little background. Uh, I created Third Degree Mind back in February. Uh, I've been trying to make it a weekly podcast since then. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Finding time to record a new episode isn't always easy. I'm a single parent. I have a two-year-old daughter running around here somewhere. So that can lead to uh, sometimes unpredictable schedules. And sometimes that's beyond my control. So I do the best I can with getting content out once a week. And like I said, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But either way, I appreciate all of you uh, listening this week. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, There's lots of reasons that I created Third Degree Mind. Uh, I've only shared a few of them on here. But uh, uh, one of those main reasons uh, is that I have something called borderline personality disorder. A quick summary of what that means is that I have an incredibly difficult time regulating my emotions and emotional responses to different situations or interactions that I have with people. People with borderline tend to experience emotions at a much greater intensity than the general population, so that can lead to a number of problems or concerns. Most commonly... Uh, or most obviously, those problems come out uh, when it comes to interacting with people or maintaining relationships with other people. And th- that could be with family or friends or coworkers, uh, especially intimate partners, intimate relationships, uh, but, but everything, really. I've learned a, a lot of valuable lessons uh, over the last few years. So part of this podcast is to share some of those life lessons with how to handle emotions. I try to come on here about once a week with some stories about real life, some of my own stories, some stories that I find online. I share some other stories with you. Uh, and then t- just tips and suggestions for how you can live uh, your own happy and fulfilled life uh, despite occasionally having those bad days, because obviously we all have them. And, and we want to have we obviously want to have more good days than bad uh, overall, but you know, sometimes you go through a week or a month, or even a year, or several years where there are way more bad days than there are good days, and we want to try to escape that. We want to try to get to where we have more good, obviously, Uh, and even if we can't get to a point where we have more good days in numbers, like if we count how many days are good versus how many days are bad, it's not just about the number, but it's about making sure that 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 value of the good day uh, supersedes whatever, however bad Your bad days are if if that makes uh, if that makes some sense so whether you suffer from a a mental illness or mental condition borderline personality disorder some other personality disorder uh, maybe bipolar uh, depression anything like that that deals specifically with emotions whether you have one of those conditions or not uh, my goal here with third-degree mind is to put out content uh, that is relevant to everyone because we all, we all have to deal with relationships. We all want to have healthy relationships. We all want to be happy. So our emotions affect all of us. And it doesn't really matter if you have one of those conditions or not because it's it, it struggles that all of us go through. We all go through times of anger or times of sadness or times of happiness. And, and the, the key in all of this is, to ha- is how, we, uh, how we balance all of that. All right, so um, if you're interested in subscribing or looking for past episodes, if you're a new listener and you like this episode and you want to look for some past ones, uh, there's a couple ways you can do that. Uh, My personal favorite is the Apple iTunes Store. Search Third Degree Mind and hit subscribe. That works really well if you already use iTunes or if you have an iPhone or an iPad or, or one of those Apple products. Another place to look is Podbean. Podbean, that's where the podcast is actually hosted on podbean.com, so you can search for us there. Most recently, I created a Facebook page as well. Just search Third Degree Mind on Facebook and you'll find the page there. You can also contact me through that Facebook page if you like. I'm always looking for uh, audience feedback and suggestions for uh, suggestions on topics uh, for the program. Summer is Coming upon us uh, really fast. I can't believe it's already June. We're already into the month of June. And, well, at least here in Las Vegas, definitely feels like summer. We're right here around 100 degrees every day. It's only going to get hotter. The kids are out of school, or at least close, if uh, if not quite yet. They're out of school here. I I don't know about uh, different parts of the country. I, I feel like I always was in school through the first week of June and, you know, uh, maybe even a little longer than that, but well, here in Las Vegas, kids are out of school uh, a little bit earlier than what I remember from my days in the Midwest. Uh, that excitement of summer vacation is certainly filling the air, uh, which you're aware of if you're around kids, if you're a parent or whatever. I'm, I'm sure you are seeing that. Sometimes uh, for parents, that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, all these all this extra time with your kids at home and now you got to find something for them to do or somewhere to go while you go to work can be stressful. Definitely can cause a little bit of stress. Uh, my daughter's only two, so she's not quite school age yet. She doesn't really care about summer or summer vacation or whatever. but but one thing that she does like about summer, is she learns very quickly uh, that one of the best activities to do when it's warm outside is to go swimming. She loves the water, loves the water, absolutely loves it. And I'm, I'm, I haven't found too many kids that don't. Everybody likes to go swimming. And that's something that, obviously, we as adults can can enjoy also. So in, in my backyard, I have a... Uh, it's a really, really small in-ground uh, swimming pool. And it's, it's not even, it's not even a swimming pool. Like when you think of a swimming pool, that's, that's not even what it is. It's, it's a, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a, it's a water feature. Uh, it's less than a thousand gallons. It's about 18 inches deep, uh, 10 feet by five feet, something like that. Real, real small. It's, it's like a decorative water feature, but it's built like a swimming pool. It functions like a swimming pool and it, uh, you know it's chlorinated and everything like that. It's got waterfalls and stuff like that on it, uh, so it's it's pretty cool. And for for a two year old, it's the best thing in the world. Uh, she loves playing in it. Uh, she'll play with her little toys in there, or whatever. And like I said, it's only about eighteen inches, eighteen inches deep, so a foot and a half. So she can sit in it or whatever. But you know you can't you can't swim in it or jump in or anything like that. It's it's not a it's not a swimming pool as you would think of one. But she loves playing in it. Uh, regardless so about a week ago i'm I'm sitting outside and i'm i'm cleaning this thing up but you know the maintenance was kind of lacking in the winter i don't really keep up with it significantly in the winter i just make sure that it doesn't freeze over that's really my only goal in the winter for maintenance but so now that it's warming up outside i like i said about a week ago i'm cleaning it up getting the algae out getting the leaves out making sure it's uh chlorinated properly so that uh so she can play in it and while i'm doing that she's kind of running back and forth between inside and outside you know the doors open whatever and that's one of the greatest things about vegas is there there really aren't a lot of like flying bugs or anything you know there's there's no mosquitoes or or tons of flies you know i come from the midwest i was i was not able to just leave a door open uh but in, in the in vegas here i feel like you can at least uh to a degree. Uh, at night, obviously, you might get moths and stuff flying inside towards the lights inside the house. But during the daytime, you don't have to worry about that. So I just kind of leave the back door open. It's just a sliding glass door, and I'm out. Like I said, I'm outside working on on that, and and she's playing with her toys, going back and forth from inside to outside. And I have my back to the door, uh, leaning over the this this little pool is right outside the door, so I'm like right next to the door, but my back is to it, so I can't see i'm like scrubbing the the sides because there's algae on the side so i got a brush and i'm scrubbing the algae off and uh and all of a sudden i hear the door close and then i hear a click and i turn around and sure enough that little devil shut the door and locked it and i just kind of i didn't really think much of it at at, in that moment i just kind of i kind of turned around like i said i turned around looked i saw that that's what she did and and i kept working on the uh I kept scrubbing the sides, and like I said, it didn't—it didn't really dawn on me for a couple minutes that wait a second, I think she just locked me out. And uh, so I got up and I stood up. I went over to the to the door and I tried to open the sliding door, and sure enough, it's locked. And she's standing just on the other side of it, kind of like looking out the window at me, and her hand on the glass, and got a, the got this little innocent smile on her face, of course, and. all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, shit. I look in my pockets quick. I got no keys on me, and I got no phone. So what in the world am I going to do now? And I start thinking, I'm like, well, you know, at least if I had keys, I could jump the wall and get to the front yard of the house. And, uh, you know, my backyard is surrounded by, uh, it's probably about six to seven foot high wall. So ideally, if I had a key, I could jump that wall, and I could get to the front door and just let myself in. But I don't have my keys on me, and that front door's locked. I always have that locked. So I'm completely locked out, no keys, and my child is inside. And I realize, well, she locked the door. All she had to do was flip this little lever on the handle down. That's how it locks. All she has to do is flip that lever back up. So I'm thinking... Well, if she could flip it one way. She could obviously flip it the other. I just have to try to coach her through that so she understands what I'm saying. So I'm talking to her through the window, and I'm like, Olivia, flip this switch. And, I'm, you know, I'm using my hands and trying to motion. I'm trying to point to the little lever, and she's kind of looking to see what I'm pointing at. And every now and then she'll giggle at me and laugh, and she'll knock on the glass mm-hmm. a little bit. And I, I feel like I'm a little... Uh, exotic animal at the zoo and she's watching me through the window or something like that's that's what it felt like and I was like I don't know what I'm gonna do if she doesn't open this door I'm I I don't know at all and so I you know I keep trying keep trying to explain to her and 10 minutes go by 15 minutes go by and she just kind of looks at me and she'll play with the handle but she won't she won't I can't get her to touch the the actual lever which is you know a real small real small lever latch type thing that's right next to the door handle and uh well after about maybe 15 minutes or so all of a sudden she goes she says hold on dada and she runs away and i'm like pounding on the window no olivia come back you're my only hope you're my only hope so she runs away and i see her running away she runs up the stairs uh and I just watch her disappear from view, and I'm like, oh, great. Oh, my goodness. She just ignored me, ran away. My only chance to get back in my house just ran away up the stairs. And who knows when she'll be back? So now I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm seriously contemplating now. I'm, I'm going to have to break into, break into my own house. I'm going to have to uh, break a window or something. So I'm looking around my yard at some of the rocks trying to figure out And I'm looking at the windows trying to figure out which one's maybe the cheapest to fix if I have to break one of these, uh, which is a a small window, whatever, making sure that if I do break a window, making sure that I can actually get in through that window. Because that was the thought that dawned on me as I I thought about breaking out the smallest window because that would be the most inexpensive to replace. But then I I thought about the fact that, well, wait a minute, if I break this window, it's too small, I won't be able to get in through it. So I ain't going to even accomplish anything. So of course I'm trying to figure out where the perfect balance is between these windows. Some of the windows slide, some of them uh, uh, open out. So I'm kind of like, well, maybe I can pry one of these out, and I'll just break the lock off. Uh, you know, if I have if I have a stick or something, I can probably just pry it and pop the lock, uh, and then just maybe maybe an easy fix. I don't know. So I'm, as I'm looking at these windows, about 10 minutes go by, and I see her come back down the stairs. And now keep in now now we're at about 20, 25 minutes that I've been locked out, so she comes back down the stairs, and she's got that big smile on her face again, of course, innocent as always, runs back up to the window, and I notice she's holding uh, my car keys, and I'm like, well, she's got my car keys, and she goes, she goes, here you go, dada, runs up to the window, and holds the keys up to the glass, and, and then it, it dawned on me then that she contemplated that I was locked out. And she understands that keys play a role in locks and doors. Not this particular door, obviously, but she's grasping the concept that, you know, the door's locked and, and I can't get in. Uh, so I again try instructing her to, you know, hit that latch and she's got the keys in one hand and her other hand is gripping the uh, the handle to pull the door open and She's got those keys up there playing by the, uh, uh, playing by the handle. Like she's holding them in one hand and it's, it's almost like she's trying to stick the key into an imaginary lock. Like she's holding a key and she's just kind of poking at the air with it, like around that, that, uh, around that handle and she's getting close to the latch and I'm starting to think, okay, maybe she'll, maybe she'll bump it. Cause all she has to do is, is hit it up just a little bit, push that latch up and I'll be able to open the door. So I got one hand on the outside door handle, so thinking, you know, if she if she incidentally bumps that latch, I could just rip the door open, and I won't have to... Because obviously I, I was thinking about the fact that what if, what if she hits that latch up and unlocks it, but I'm not ready to open the door, and then she freaking pushes it down again and locks it again. I don't want that to happen, because it might take a long time to get her to unlock it just once. So... She's playing with it for about five minutes, and all of a sudden I hear it click, she hits it up, and boom, I open the door. Wow, what a relief. I was outside for 30, 40 minutes, locked out, and like I said, I had no way to contact anyone because I didn't have my phone on me, I didn't have any keys on me, I had nothing. (laughs) That was not a fun... 30, 35, 40 minutes, however long it was. That was not enjoyable. That's how we learn, though. That's how we learn. One of my good friends says that good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. (laughs) So my good judgment now of making sure I have keys on me Uh, when I go outside, or finding a way to disable that latch so she can't lock it uh, while I'm outside, that good judgment now comes from experience. Obviously, that experience, the story I just told you, and experience, obviously, that experience came from bad judgment. So it's a great quote. Good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. It doesn't have to be your bad judgment or even your experience. It's just that you make good decisions based on. What am I trying to say? You can make good decisions based on somebody else's poor judgment that led to some experience. So, if you have a toddler, take uh, that story to heart. (laughs) Don't leave your house without keys. Uh, don't allow them the opportunity to lock you out, don't don't leave only a toddler inside with no adults inside, you know, there's, there's different lessons that can be taken from that. I certainly hope that I would not get locked out a second time. I mean, you know the saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Of course, a few years ago, former President George W. Bush had a Different saying. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, Fool me once, shame on, shame on you. If you fool me, we can't get fooled again. What a guy, George W. Bush. What a fool. (laughs) So anyways, remember that? Good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. So anyways, I want to change gears a little bit here, and I'm going to rant about my love life adventures, some of my interesting stories, or maybe you don't find them interesting, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I have some relevant advice for... Some people on relationships, and maybe I don't, because most of my relationships are catastrophic disasters. I've been single since January of 2015. That's pretty much three and a half years. Uh, If you've been a semi-regular listener of Third Degree Mind, uh, you probably know this. You know that I do a fair amount of casual dating here and there. Nothing too over-the-top or crazy, Uh, because I'm also a single father, so I don't have a lot of time for meeting new people and dating. The amazing George Costanza from the 90s TV show Seinfeld sums up my dating life pretty well. Ah, what's the point? (laughs) When I like them, they don't like me. When they like me, I don't like them. (laughs) Why can't I act with the ones I like the way I do with the ones I don't like? George Costanza, my hero. I noticed this about my own life. I'm nothing too over the top in terms of amazing or awesome. But I like to think that I'd be a catch for someone. I've had my fair share of women interested in me. Just not the ones that I'm interested in. And I'll be honest with you. I can tell within 15 seconds of meeting a girl if I'm interested. Some people can tell right away. Some people took a little while to make up their minds. I don't take very long at all. I'm in that first group. I can tell very, very quickly. But when I meet one that I know I'm not interested in, what do I typically do? What, what do you do if you're in that situation? Think for a moment about yourself and what you do when you meet someone on a first date and you decide that you aren't that interested in them. Let me back up a few steps even more uh, to help illustrate this. Most of the women that I date I actually meet online. Uh, These free apps like Tinder and others that are similar to that that focus on the idea of casual dating. Uh, Now I, I know everybody's got opinions on these apps and and things, and and whether or not they're worthwhile or a waste of time. I'll tell you my opinion on them right off the bat. I know they're a waste of time. I think the chances of meeting someone of quality on these apps and falling in love is less than the odds of finding a flying reindeer named Blitzen. And I know that some people make it happen. Hell, my daughter's mom is... One of those exceptions met the love of her life, at least today's love of her life, on Tinder. So I get that it happens, but I'm not expecting that. And to be honest, I'm not using it for that purpose, so I suppose it's a moot point. All of the people that I've met on these apps Tinder, Bumble, Plenty of Fish, all of those people that I've met tend to either be incredibly immature or just plain nuts. I attract crazy. I know that I'm nuts, so I guess crazy attracts crazy. This whole mantra that opposites attract, I think, is BS. Because when you're crazy, you attract other crazy people. And that's at least been my experience. When I share dating stories with my friends... They can't believe how many times I've found someone who's just playing Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They're just all completely nuts. I have yet to meet someone normal from one of those apps. Like it's unreal. But I stick with the online system for a couple of reasons. Mainly because uh, it's convenient. It's super, super convenient. I can just pull out my phone and play on it for a few minutes and, and potentially meet someone right there. I'm a single parent, so sometimes I need that convenience. I get maybe one night every two to three weeks where I don't have my daughter and I don't have to work. It's rare. So one night every two to three weeks comes out to one or two nights a month. So when those nights do come up where I know that I don't have my daughter or that I don't have to work, I start looking at the possibility of going out with a girl, going out on a date, and seeing how it goes. Just casual dating. Not been in a relationship. I've not made any consistent thing last uh, for more than about, I'm going to say, three weeks. Over the last three and a half years, three weeks is pretty much my record. I'm not opposed to a relationship. I I would not be opposed to it. It's not what I'm actively looking for, But like I said, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Just something to do on uh, my nights off. So what happens when you go out on a date with one of these people, a first date, and you realize pretty quick, like I'm talking within a few minutes or even a few seconds, that this is not someone that you want to be serious with or that you'd want to spend a significant portion of your life or free time with? What do you do? The reason I brought up the online thing as a backstory is because obviously if I'm meeting this person for drinks or whatever, I've already been texting them or maybe even calling them on a semi-regular basis. I met them online. This is our first in-person date, but we know little bits uh, about each other. We've been talking for a short period of time uh, online, texting, things of that nature. So let me tell you how it goes for me. Because 99% of my dates are like this. I talk to enough people online that when I have those one or two free nights a month that I was talking about, when I have one of those nights, it sometimes works out that I have a few people to choose from for who I want to actually try to meet up with. So i ultimately decide whichever one I feel like I have maybe the strongest connection. And hopefully she's available. And if she is... We'll go out. And then, like I said, 99% of the time, I'm let down within just a few seconds. And I'm going to talk about borderline personalities for a second here. You all know I have borderline personality disorder. I've talked about that a bunch. I mentioned it uh, just in the beginning of this episode even. BPD affects many different facets of my life. But one of the most obvious and common ways that it comes out is how I interact with other people. Friends, family, like I said. Friends, family, intimate partners, or potentially intimate relationships. I'm very, very skilled at reading people in person. BPD makes me extremely hypersensitive to emotions and emotional shifts. When I say emotional shifts, I'm saying when you move from happiness into stronger happiness or happiness slowly downward towards maybe anger if something is said that would upset you or something like that those are emotional shifts bpd makes me incredibly hypersensitive to those emotionally emotional shifts so much that sometimes i might sense an emotional shift when there really isn't even one there and that's what gets confusing it's easy for me to feel emotions either with uh, within myself uh, or even in the vicinity, so to speak. So I can sit down with someone and almost immediately know if I like them or not. Because I can feed off of their emotions as well. But the struggle here is that Uh, The in-person, face-to-face moment is a must. I have no idea what's going on with texts or phone calls. Matter of fact, phone calls are the worst. I hate phone calls. I can't stand them. I cannot stand talking to someone on the phone. Texting is acceptable, but it's difficult to read someone or a situation when it's through texting. And, And you all know what I'm talking about. You've all had conversations with people, I'm sure, through texting where something gets misconstrued or misunderstood. It happens, and it's not fun, and it often leads to an argument because something was misunderstood, there's no inflection, there's no tone, there's, you know, you're missing a lot of sides of communication, all those nonverbals, you're losing all of those nonverbals when it comes to texting. Phone calls give you some of the nonverbals, but not many. The, the issue that I have with a phone call, uh, well, I mean, I have a number of issues with phone calls, but one of the problems with a phone call versus a text is at least a text I can sit there and process and I can think about what was said or what I said, or I can formulate a response. I can delete something that I typed before I send it, and I can reword it, all those things, whereas a phone call, I don't get the in-person, and I also don't get the opportunity to process. Okay, one of the things with BPD, especially the fact that I'm aware of my BPD and I'm aware of how it affects me and my communication, is I know when someone says something that I take the wrong way, I know that there's a pretty good chance that I'm taking it the wrong way. And I can sit there and I can reprocess or I can put my phone down for two minutes and go pace around my living room or something like that. Or I can go step outside and get some fresh air. I can do something before I formulate a response. And then I can actually do that. I can actually formulate a response as opposed to just giving a response like you would on a phone call, if that makes sense. Obviously, in person is the best of all worlds. No, I get that you don't have that opportunity to process, but when you're in person, I don't need that opportunity as much as I do when I'm texting or phone because I can be hypersensitive to all those emotions and all those emotional shifts. I can understand what's going on a lot better when I'm in person. So anyways, I can meet someone online, text them for a few days. I might text them constantly even. That's another thing with BPD. Immediate attachment. I've talked about this before with you. The idea that I can get so unbelievably attached to someone in a matter of minutes, sometimes even just by texting with them, it's scary. But the problem is that attach- that attachment makes it a routine part of my day. They become a part of my day and a part of my routine very quickly to the point that I'll thrive on the idea of hearing from them. Hearing my phone go off or feeling it vibrate, hearing that they're trying, that they're texting me. BPD makes me hypersensitive. Every emotion is abnormally intense and powerful. There is no slight happiness or there is no minor smile or minor anger for that matter. So everything is intense, meaningful, and powerful. So every text message from this person that I've never even met sends rushing adrenaline through my mind, creating uncontrollable happiness and excitement. It's like your brain being completely drowned in dopamine. With every conversation, it builds more and more happiness and attraction, all for a person that I've never even met. it's as if my mind creates an illusion of who they are or who I want them to be. Because I haven't met them in person, my mind can make them into whatever it wants. And because it's thriving on every single text message that comes through, my mind gets further and further from the truth of who they really are and instead takes this image of a person or identity that I have essentially created within my own mind, inserts that identity into my own mind. They're not a unique person or identity anymore. They become such a part of my own routine and my own day that they become twisted and morphed into something within my own mind. A figment of my imagination, if you will. Based on someone who is a real person... I just haven't seen that person. I haven't met that person. So then you can guess what happens. I meet them in person for the first time. I immediately see who they really are, because like I said, I am hypersensitive in person like that. I see who they really are as a separate identity, not the one that my mind created and inserted into my subconscious, but a real separate person, a separate identity, with their own idiosyncrasies that I maybe didn't even see before right now. Probably didn't even come through in those text messages. So the real person doesn't fit into my distorted version of who I became attracted to over the last few days or weeks. The longer i had been texting them, the worse it tends to be because the longer I text without meeting them, the more distorted it becomes. One of the issues with borderline personalities is self-identity and and a lacking of self-identity. Sometimes people with BPD are drawn into other people's identities. They're drawn into it so much uh, that they can't find their own. Their hobbies and interests or likes and dislikes, everything about a basic personality comes from somewhere else or someone else. This is why we, with BPD, often change likes or dislikes or hobbies and interests so frequently. Nothing ever sticks. Because they really aren't my hobbies or my interests. They're someone else's, which I inserted into my own personality because I'm lacking in my own identity. People with BPD tend to appear to be extroverts at times, Because they want to be surrounded by other people. Because my identity, (coughs) excuse me, my identity and how I define myself is based on those that I'm around and interacting with. When I'm alone, I feel chronic emptiness that I, I can't fend off, which is why when I have those one to two nights a month to do nothing, I have to find something to do, someone to hang out with, someone to go on a date with. Because my personality thrives on the personalities of other people, I get into deep conversations with those people and their identity gets distorted within my worldview, within the way that I look at them, I've created a person Or an identity of who I think they are. And that only exists in my own mind. And that identity is the one that I start to get attached to. And attracted to and falling in love with. The person that I'm interacting with on a a text message basis. They can't relay their true identity and their true personality to me. But I'm still going to thrive on whatever I interpret or imagine. So my mind thinks that they are someone that they're not. And when I do meet them, their true personality comes out instantly. And it's not someone I like anymore. So what does that lead to? Depression. Depression. And remember folks, nothing with BPD is minor. Nothing is a minor feeling or minor emotion with a borderline personality. No emotion is minor. It's not a small sense of sadness. No, it is despair and rock bottom all over again. Everything is extreme and intense. So we're talking about that chronic emptiness, loneliness, and depression all hitting me all over again at the very beginning of this date within a few minutes. And here's the kicker. It's not over the fact that this person is not who I thought she was. It's not over the fact that, oh, I really don't like this person. I don't care about this person in front of me because I don't have this attachment to this person in front of me. My sadness and despair and grief is over the death of the imaginary identity that has existed in my mind for the days or weeks prior to this much anticipated first date. That imaginary identity that I practically fell in love with, yes, everything is intense with borderline personalities. So yes, I practically fell in love with this imaginary identity that I created and that I was interacting with on a text message or phone call basis. That identity is now dead. And this right now is the awakening moment that that person no longer exists. They're no longer here. Sure, that fake personality or identity never really did exist. But to me, they did. To me, they did. They were very real. I interacted with them. I texted with them. I called them. That person was very real, and now they're gone. And now because they're gone, I'm left feeling alone and empty, I'm feeling alone because they're not with me. I'm feeling empty because that person became a part of me because it was a creation within my own mind. So now they're gone and I feel empty. I feel lonely, depressed, all over again. And nothing happened. It was just a first date. Everything is so extreme. Everything is so extreme when you have a condition like borderline personality disorder. Nothing is ever minor. This is a big deal. This is a major breakup. This is the end of a relationship, not because she doesn't want to be with me, but because she essentially died. That's what's insane about this whole thing. So she might have liked me on the date. Doesn't even matter. I totally have no interest in this real person. I just was searching for the person that I created. My friends, that's how 99% of my dates go. And I know what you're thinking now. What about the other 1%? And maybe that's a skewed statistic. I, I don't know that I... I've gone out on a hundred dates that I could say 99 of them ended that way. But a huge majority end in that manner. The minority, every now and then, will be the complete opposite. I'll realize, I'll go on the date and I'll realize that the person that I was interacting with is no longer there but I'll also realize in almost the same moment that the person who is sitting in front of me is even better than the imaginary one that I had created in which case I'd be all too happy to dump the imaginary one for the real one because the real one is that much better which is rare this is rare If that happens, we go down a whole nother road, a whole nother road, because then what ends up happening, I have a good first date, it ends on a high note, now I'm on cloud nine. And when I'm on cloud nine, it's just like the intensity of the sadness and depression, only, of course, the opposite. It's like cloud nine on steroids. Like the greatest day in the whole fucking world. And I'm on top of the whole fucking world. So what do you think happens next? Care to guess? Well, basically, I end up falling in love so damn fast that all I want to do is talk to this person, see them, be around them, text them throughout the day, every day, all of a sudden... There's no more personal space. I'll feel like this is the one I'm going to marry for sure. And I I mean, I won't tell them that, but I'll make sure they definitely know I'm interested too much. So much that it's like an obsession. Do you want to guess how she reacts to that level of attention after just one date? I mean, it's pretty easy, really. Uh, There won't be a second date. And eventually, when I accept that I've been blown off again, and I go down that path of depression that I talked about before, you know, feeling the loneliness, the feeling that the love of my life died unexpectedly, and yet with this pattern, that's what's interesting. Shouldn't that type of reaction be expected? right? I'm telling you that this is what happens in my dating life. This isn't a one-time story. This is repeated examples of what happens. So how can I sit here and say that she died unexpectedly? That doesn't even make sense because it should be expected. So what do we do? What do we do about all this? Or what should we do? My friends, this is where I give advice based on lessons that I've learned but lessons I know I don't personally put into practice. This is one of those do as I say, not as I do kind of moments. And I hate those moments. I hate that I have to sit here right now and talk about these lessons learned when they obviously aren't really lessons that I've actually learned. Because no matter what I say here, I can almost promise you that this is one of those times where I won't be taking my own advice. As much as I'd like to, I'm still learning how to do all of this myself. And the reason that I share that part with you is uh, if you struggle with similar circumstances, with being single, you can rest easy knowing that I know better than anyone else that this kind of thing is much easier said than done. So settle in because these are my five steps to success when it comes to being alone, being single. Step one is this. You must be content with who you are as an individual. You must have your own identity your own likes, your own dislikes, your own hobbies, your own interests. You have to know who you are, and you have to be content with that person. I promise you that you can never make someone else happy if you are not happy first by yourself. It's not someone else's job to make you happy. It's only your own. If someone else comes into your life they should complement that existing personality that you already have. They should add to it. That person should fit in with that personality, not help you build one. Step two, once you've accomplished that, this next one is a tough one. And a lot of people will not agree with this one. Or maybe they just don't like hearing this kind of truth. You have to accept The reality that is, the reality that life offers no guarantees. Me personally, I do not believe in God or fate or anything of the sort. I believe a lot of that kind of thinking leads to nothing but letdowns and pain Pain that I am personally familiar with as someone who was very religious for a majority of my life. But my friends, life offers no guarantees, so the hard truth is this. There may or may not be a soulmate for you. I don't know. Look around the world and look at how many people are alone. Live the majority of their lives alone. Or they bounce from marriage to marriage, divorce after divorce. Some people live their lives believing that each of us has a soulmate out there. And it's just a matter of time until we meet them, fall in love, and live happily ever after. That kind of misleading worldview will lead you down a dark road filled with pain and despair. Not to mention a lifetime of feeling alone. If you've accomplished step one, then this part actually should not be all that difficult to accept because they are linked. Step one is be content with who you are as an individual. And be happy as that individual. Don't live your life desperately believing that you need to be with someone. Be content alone. And then step two, this is just adding that you need to accept that that might always be your reality. You might always be alone. But if you've successfully accomplished step one and you're happy alone, this shouldn't be that different to accept that that might be just who you are. Step three, if you want to date, date. However, if you do, don't forget about always remaining content with who you are as an individual. You do not need someone else to make you happy. Remember that you're already happy with who you are. You don't need to be with someone else. You've already accepted before you go out on that date, hopefully, that there's no guarantee that this person is, quote, the one for me. We already talked about the reality that There might not be a one for you. Look at all the people out there that don't have that special one. So, I'm not going to go out there and try to make them be the one, or make them like me, or show them what a great person I am. That's not the point. I'm already happy with who I am right now. I'm happy with who I am alone and independent I don't need them I'm on this date because I want to be here perhaps had nothing better to do on this particular day bored who knows but you're not on this date because you need that person sitting across the table from you that's not why you're there step four this one's easy if you had a good time tell them and if you didn't Move the fuck on. Don't waste time if you didn't have a good time. You are an individual. You need to keep your individual happiness. If this person doesn't add anything to that and all they do is take it away or they're not beneficial to you, then move on. Jerry Seinfeld has great advice for this idea of moving on. Just do it like a band-aid. One motion. Right off! I love it. One motion. Like a band-aid. Right off. Fantastic advice. Fantastic advice. And the last step, my friends. Never, ever, ever, ever forget who you are. If you fall in love with someone, awesome. More power to you. I wish you all the best in that relationship. Seriously, I do. I think that is great. But within that relationship, you need to always remember who you are. Never forget where you came from. Never forget your own journey through life as an individual what brought you to that person, how you ended up with that person. And if at some point you decide that that person you're with isn't beneficial to who you are, then you need to get out. You should just do it like a band aid, one motion, right up. I love it. I love it. Band aid, one motion, and be done. As I said before, I know that all this stuff is a lot easier said than done. I'm not gonna sit over here on my high horse of a soapbox. And tell you that it's easy. Or that I've successfully done any of these things. Some days I feel like I'm happy and content with being alone. And I accept the reality that I might always be alone. But it's a day-to-day struggle for me. It might be for you too. That doesn't mean you're any less successful of a, of a person. But you need to focus on yourself. And you need to keep that individual mentality, that you are an individual I've been around long enough to know that dating patterns are often predictable like I said before, a lot of mine go very similar in the same way they really go down two different roads and either of those roads have predictable endings both of them do You might not be exactly the same as me when it comes to dating and the issues that I have with it. But I think it's fair to say that if you look at your experiences of being single, if you've been single for any period of time, and if you've dated or you've talked to other people that you're, you're interested in or, or whatever, uh, you could see the predictability and you could see the patterns A lot of it is predictable. If you think about those five steps I gave you, I think they make perfect sense. It's really just a matter of willpower, of successfully moving through those steps and and successfully accepting each of them. A couple weeks ago, I talked about writing and journaling and uh, the therapeutic benefits of, of doing that. And I haven't really mentioned it a lot the last few episodes, but today I'm going to bring that back up again. Hopefully you still have that notebook, and I'm, I'm a huge, huge, huge supporter of of this type of uh, therapeutic, uh, self-help treatment type stuff. I'd like you to think about this stuff uh, that we talked about and write down some of your own experiences. Hopefully you still have that notebook. Uh, if you're single, write those five steps down, and I'm going to give them to you again in, in a second. I want you to write those 5 down and think about where you are in that continuum. Have you successfully completed the first one? The second one, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you skip steps, for example, if you dive right into dating in order to desperately find the love of your life because you feel like you can't be happy without that person, how do those dates go? Do they go somewhat like mine? Write about some experiences that you've had, good and bad. I want you to think about and reflect on some of those experiences and see if you can see some of those patterns that I'm talking about. Think about those patterns and think about your interactions with with other people and, and how you view yourself and why you want those types of interactions with other people, why you want that relationship. Are you going out on those dates to to find that Mr. or Mrs. Perfect? I want you to write these things down. Write it as if it was a chapter in a book or an autobiography that, that you're writing, your own memoirs. Pretend that you're telling the stories to someone who wasn't actually there on the date. Don't leave anything out. I want you to describe your feelings, your apprehensions, your nerves, your happiness, your excitement. Anything you remember, anything that comes to mind. Because all those memories, the way your mind works, your mind remembers odd things from certain experiences. And if we reflect on looking at why, why did I remember that I was wearing this red shirt? There may not be a significant reason, but... It's, it's how you become more self-aware. And, and that's, that's the whole purpose of this, this whole topic, ladies and gentlemen. That is the entire purpose here is your self-awareness, your knowledge of who you are in creating your own personality rather than having someone else in a relationship give you a personality. That's what we try to escape. All right, those steps to success one more time. Step one, be content with yourself. Number two, accept that you might always be alone. Number three, date if you want, but don't compromise who you are. Number four, if it doesn't go well, rip it off like a Band-Aid. And number five, never forget where you came from. Maybe you're one of the lucky ones and you're actually not single and yet you're still here listening to this podcast about how to be single and how to be alone. Maybe you're happily in love with the love of your life already. Awesome. Congratulations. I applaud you because you, my friend, are in the minority. 50% of marriages fail. An even greater percentage of non-married relationships fail never reach marriage so if you are happy in an actual relationship with the love of your life you are in the freaking minority and that's why that's why step 2 is such a big deal to me when people talk about well you just have to wait your soulmate's out there you know you'll find them give it time blah 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 it'll happen you know you'll you'll find that per- that special person says who Why is there some guarantee that I'm going to find someone? There are more people in this world that are either alone or dissatisfied in their relationship. Or like I said, divorced a hundred times. There are more people like that than there are people that are actually happily with the love of their life. But if that is you, excellent. Excellent you can still apply some of these lessons to your situation. How did you get there? Remember that my final step is to never forget where you came from. So think back to the days that you were single. That's where you came from. Don't forget that. That's an important part of who you are. Even if you've been with the person 10 years, where did you come from? How did you get to where you are now? Did you go through years of disastrous date after date after date until you just magically, coincidentally found the one? Or did you do something different and suddenly stumble into that perfect relationship? Was it unexpected? How did it all work out for you? Never forget where you came from. My friends, being alone is no easy task. It's not. Especially if you're trying to find someone and you don't want to be alone. Because you constantly have that fear or that anxiety about the future, never knowing. I have no idea if I'm going to end up with someone or if I'm just going to be alone forever. I have no idea. I don't sit here and pretend to know the future. My freaking crystal ball ain't working today. Before you worry about finding someone special, find a way to ensure that you are someone special yourself. Be a prize for someone else. That person is out there looking for you too, maybe. And in order to catch their eye, you need to be their special someone. If you're looking for someone to make you happy, That means all you're doing is you're looking for someone else that makes it their goal in life to find someone who's miserably, pathetically alone and put a smile on their face. What the fuck kind of person is that? Is that someone that you would want to be with? Do you want to be with someone who is making their life goal looking for the pathetic and desperately alone individual? That doesn't make any sense. You don't want to be either of those people. That's why your own individual identity is so freaking important. I don't even I can't even emphasize that enough. Who you are is so important. Never forget that. Never forget who you are. And if you end up in that relationship, if you end up in that relationship where you've forgotten who you are, or your significant other has forgotten who you are and 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 they're so overdominating in that relationship that you've lost your own sense of self and your own sense of identity i have one piece of advice for you if you're in that situation she's just doing like a band-aid one motion right up Hey, it's Jay, creator and host of Third Degree Mind Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I wanted to close really quick by reminding you that Third Degree Mind is produced primarily for entertainment purposes and is not intended to treat or diagnose any mental illness and is not intended to replace clinical psychiatry. I am not a licensed therapist or physician, so if you feel that you need mental health treatment, please always seek that appropriate care in your area. If you're feeling actively suicidal, please call 911 or take yourself to an emergency room. If you're in the U.S., You can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255 or contact them using their online chat service at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And once again, they are available 24-7.